Hello, podcast listener. This is the Antioch Community Church in Dallas, Texas podcast, and I'm your host, Zach Daniel. We are a community who desire to show one another who Jesus is because he's the satisfier of our souls, he's the centerpiece of history, and he's the one with power to heal our lives and heal our world. We have been in a four-week study on the New Testament epistle of Philemon. In this short but potent letter, we're learning what the gospel is, and what's the fruit that it brings in our lives. We're also learning how to become fluent in applying its power to different areas of life in the same way that Paul was teaching Philemon in this letter. Today we're going to see the gospel implications on a very important topic, the area of justice, and in particular, the implications for racism. Before we get to this really important message, our communications team has a few announcements for you. What's up, Antioch Community Church? My name is Donnie Tapey, and I'm on the pastoral staff here. Before we get started today, just wanted to give you guys a few things uh, that are going on that we would love for you guys to be a part of. First up is our Welcome to the Family Dinner, and that is tonight from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. This is a great time to get to know some of our staff get to know some of the new people that have come to the church as well, and also to get some free food. So it's a win-win all around. Next up, our launch class starts up, not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday on October 9th. Uh, one of our big desires is to invest in you and to help you have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Uh, so we wanna invite you into a six-week experience to help you do just that. Uh, it's going to be on Sunday morning during our second uh, service from October 9th to November 13th. Uh, if you have kids, they can attend Children's Church while you are in this uh, discipleship class. So whether you're new to following Jesus or have been walking with Him for a long time, uh, if you are looking for a structured opportunity to take some next steps in your discipleship journey, we would love for you to be a part of the class. Uh, you can find more uh, about this at AntiochDallas.org. Summer is officially over, well, kind of, but our life groups are officially back in session. Uh, life groups are the heartbeat of our church and are so important. Uh, so if you're interested in being a part of one of these, uh, we would love to give you more information on how to get involved. So you can email info at antiochdallas.org or go out into the lobby and you can find one of our Welcome Home Team members in the electric blue t-shirts. All right, you guys, that's a wrap. Know that we are thanking God for you and praying for you this week. All right, well, welcome to Antioch this morning. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you to church today. We're going to continue our series on Philemon. And uh, just to set the, the, the picture for why we're going through this short little book, kind of taking our time in it. Last weekend, I went to a, a conference, a, a worship conference here in town at Christ for the Nations Institute. My wife right here, she, she's awesome on the front row. Some friends from church, and while we were down there, uh, we had a little gap in between sessions. We wanted to get some food. We weren't familiar with the neighborhood around where the conference was, and so someone went on Yelp and found this barbecue restaurant. Now, I love barbecue, and so we said, let's go eat there. And when we pulled up, we knew it was going to be a little bit of an adventure, just based on the outside of the building. We'd never been to this restaurant before, and when we walked in, uh, they, they kind of looked at us and said, have you been here before? We said, no. They said, oh, hold on. And they went in the back, and they got uh, kind of a, a, a styrofoam carton of sausage, brisket, ribs, a sampler, if you will, to hand to us. They said, here, try this stuff out. 
And so we, yeah, there you go. So we took some of the sausage, some of the brisket, and the ribs, they were really good. So you kind of had to go over the ribs a couple times to really get the flavor and, and the taste and the, just the, the life out of them. And my hope is as we go through this short but powerful uh, letter from the Apostle Paul to a man named Philemon, that for you and I, that we'd take time and that we would savor it, that we'd let it shape us and strengthen us and mark us as a people. There's good stuff for us here. And so that's why we're going slow and kind of just taking our time with it. And this is the, said in the first service, this is the true and better brisket uh, to take your time, take your time on. And so I'm going to read the section of scripture we looked at last week. We're going to look at it through a new lens today, a really important uh, lens, starting in verse 8. Remember, this is Paul writing to Philemon, and he's writing about Onesimus. And he says this, accordingly, uh, Philemon, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Pause there. Just remember the way that Paul is related to Onesimus is not that he's literally his son, but Onesimus became a Christian under Paul's ministry while Paul was in prison. And remember, Paul's relationship to Philemon was that Philemon had become a Christian under Paul's ministry. So Paul is kind of like a spiritual father to Philemon, and he's a spiritual father to Onesimus. Philemon and Onesimus, their relationship is Onesimus was Philemon's slave, very common in the Roman Empire. Onesimus rebelled, stole from uh, Philemon, ran away, and as he was running, somehow, we don't know how, but he runs into Paul. And in meeting Paul, Paul shares the gospel with him. Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus, becomes a Christian. And now Paul is writing to Philemon about this relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. So then he goes on to say, Formerly he, being Onesimus, was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you would consider me your partner, receive him, being Onesimus, as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this charge with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me your own self, Philemon. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. As we've been looking through this letter, we've seen the gospel, the central teaching, the central idea of Christianity on display, and we've seen the fruit that it brings when it touches people's lives, when people draw strength from it, when they access the resource that's there. We saw in week one that the gospel brings the fruit of strength 
for hard times. This is important for us because every single one of us is going to go through hard times. Every single one of us is going to have plans that don't work out, is going to go through difficulty and loss, and that's just life in a fallen world. And so we're all going to need resource, strength, to be able to make it through. And we see that the gospel gives us strength for hard times. Second thing that we've seen last week was that the gospel gives us freedom. You are made in the image of God. You are made for freedom. We hunger and long for freedom. And the gospel births in us a freedom that's bold, that's deep, and that's wide. And we see the beautiful fruit of that freedom that the gospel brings. So faith for more, we want faith for more strength in hard times. We want faith for more experience of the freedom the gospel brings. Today, what we're going to see as we look is that the gospel also bears the fruit of justice in our lives. The gospel bears the fruit of justice in our lives. We uh, live in a world that is in desperate need of justice. And what we're going to see in these scriptures is that the gospel gives us a compass for justice, a calling to justice, and courage for justice. A compass for justice, a calling to justice, and courage to be able to live it out. Let's start with the compass. I want you to note that Paul speaks here in the beginning of the letter, and he says to Philemon that though Philemon is free, we've seen that in verse 8, though Philemon is free, Paul's not telling him what to do. He said, I'm putting this in your own charge. You, you make the choice, but there's something that's required. In verse 8, he said, Paul says, accordingly, though I'm bold enough to command you in Christ to do what's required, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Hone in on that phrase, what is required. When we see that, we're seeing that though Paul is saying, hey, you have freedom, Philemon, to make your choice, there is something that's required here. There is a standard. There is a, a, a fixed point of what's right. There's a compass for justice. We live in a world with no compass for justice. We live in a world where every day we could go on any news website that we wanted to right now and find another leader in another industry that has been bought off some way or another. That when the true story comes out, that there's shady stuff going on behind the scenes, right? That's commonplace in our world. And so often what we see, the result of that is he who has the might, he who has the power, he who has the might makes right. That the one in power, the one with influence, the one with resource sets the tone. And when those resources or influences change, then what is right changes as well. Right? You watch political opinions and you see this on display. That's the common way our world works. Or he who has the gold makes the rules. Right? He who has the wealth, he who has the resources says this is the way things are going to go. That's the way that our world works. And when we look around, there is no justice in the world. There's no compass. There's no common compass for justice in the world. But what we see in the gospel is that there is a compass for justice, a compass for true justice. Now, let me remind you what the gospel message is. If you're like, ah, I'm a little hazy on that. Remember, the gospel was a term used in Roman culture when a new emperor, a new Caesar, would come on the scene 
and they would have gospel news. They would have good news that this new leader is in charge and that they're going to fix what's wrong in the world. So in Roman culture, they believed that the emperor, the Caesar, was God, that he was like a God, that he had power to fix what was wrong. So new Caesar comes on board. Hey, this is the gospel of Caesar Augustus, etc., Here's the plan. I'm going to fix what's right in the world. I'm going to fix the roads that are broken. I'm going to fix this war with this other, this other country. I'm going to fix this, right? And so this good news would go out into the land of this leader who is going to fix what was right. What we see in Jesus is the true and living Lord, God with skin on, came to live in our neighborhood, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, doing what all those emperors, all those Caesars claimed to be able to do but didn't have the power to do, to come into the world through his incarnation, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, to say, Jesus is Lord. And that's good news, that he is the one that's in control. He is the one that's in power. He is the one that's king overall. Now, we might be like, oh, is Jesus being Lord, is that really good news? And how does that fix that there's something required right here? Because I'm going to tell you why it's good news in a minute. But remember, Paul, Onesimus, Philemon, all the relationships in this little letter were brought together around this message, this good news of Jesus being Lord. That's what brought them together, and their relationships, their life is being reshaped by this good news. So when Paul is saying, hey, there's something required here, it's because Jesus is Lord. And with Jesus being king, there is a right way, there is a righteousness, there is a compass for justice. And so he's saying, uh, he's saying Philemon, you're free and There is something required. There is something that's right, right here. There's something that we must do. Now, you and I, we live in a generation and a culture where we're distrustful of anyone in authority. We're distrustful of anyone that claims to be king. We don't like people in power. We feel like they're out to get us, to misuse their power, etc. And so we get a little nervous when we start talking about Jesus being king. We can say, Jesus, friend of sinners, I'm in. That's awesome. We say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. It's like, whoa, I don't know that I'm coming back to this place, right? But here's what I want to do, and you can laugh because that is a good one. Uh, you can, you, I want to show you why Jesus being King, why Jesus being Lord is good news. Not just good news for Philemon, not just good news for Onesimus, but good news for you and for me today. The first reason that you should be excited to get on his bandwagon that Jesus is Lord is because he has wisdom. Now guys, we we claim to be wise. We want to run our own life. We want to run our own agenda. We want to kind of call the shots, but we're just not that wise. I mean, I could go into anybody's Facebook wall here in this room and we can find your junior high photos if you were on Facebook in junior high. And you can see the haircuts. You can see the style. And you yourself be like, what was I thinking with that haircut, right? Uh, another one, if you remember Y2K. Anybody remember Y2K? Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, right? Everyone thought the world was going to come to an end. 
that all the computers were going to shut off and everything was just going to come crashing to an end. And so leading up to Y2K, what do you do? You, like, bought extra water. My, my parent, you know, you're, like, getting extra food. It's kind of like, okay, what happens if this is really the end? Wake up January 1st, year 2000, same as it was December 31st, 1999, right? We're just not that wise. But let me tell you about the wisdom of Jesus. I want to describe to you his wisdom. In Isaiah, which is an Old Testament book prophesying about Jesus, prophesying about one who was to come, Isaiah chapter 11 says this about Jesus. It says in verse 2 that the Spirit of the Lord would be upon him. And that Spirit is a Spirit of wisdom and understanding. That Spirit is a Spirit of counsel and might. That spirit is a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So Jesus walks in the wisdom of God. The wisdom of all wisdoms fills him. And now look what that looks like. Verse 3, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So the thing that would bring him joy was honoring God the Father. So there's this honor about him, and the fruit of that is that he will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Let's pause there. What's it saying? It's saying that Jesus isn't going to be duped by appearances, you and I, oh, Y2K, I better, go to, I better go to Costco and load up, right? We're duped by appearances. We're duped by politicians all the time. Here's going to be my agenda. Here's what we're going to do, and no one does it, right? And so we, we buy into that stuff, and here's what it's saying about Jesus. He's not duped by appearances. He's not duped by people saying this or saying that, right? Because what's he doing? His standard, his compass is righteousness. And with righteousness, he advocates for the poor, with equity, he advocates for the meek of the earth. Now listen to this. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Jesus, as king, his wisdom destroys evil. His wisdom destroys wickedness. That's good news. This is somebody we want to get behind. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So he'd literally be clothed with righteousness and faithfulness. That's the wisdom that he walks in. When he taught what the people who heard him teach in person said, they were undone, they were awed because of the authority with which he taught. The power and just this resounding, that's it, with which he taught Jesus is a wise king. Jesus is not only wise, but he's good. And I want to tell you about his goodness. We, we're very fickle in our goodness, right? We're moody. I mean, even the best of us, we're moody. We're, we're good to people who are good to us. Your neighbor does something nice for you. You do something nice for them. And then we're jerks for people that are jerks to us. You get cut off on 635, and all of a sudden you're like a NASCAR driver. You're going to get up there, and you're going to show that person what time it is. At least that's how it is in my car, right? I imagine it's that way in your car because I see accidents on, on 635 all the time. 
right? We're fickle in our goodness, right? But Jesus is unchanging in his goodness. In James chapter 1, it says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, look at this, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What does that mean? That Jesus is unchanging in his goodness. That you're not going to get in with Jesus and then be like, oh, this, you, you totally are crooked over here. We found out that you're not going to find out the story on National Enquirer or whatever the website is, TMZ, of, oh, Jesus is doing this in the back room. He's not like that. There's no change in him. His goodness is lasting. He's not moody. He's not like you and me that's, you know, good today, bad tomorrow. He's consistent in his goodness, right? So not only is he wise and not only is he good, but he's also generous. You and I, we're not that generous people, right? Wake up in the morning, first thought on your mind is, I need to get something for me. I need to get food for me. Or I need to get my this for me. I need to get that for me. And we're kind of life centers around getting stuff for, for us, right? We're not that generous, even the best of us. But Jesus, his kingship, who he is, is marked by generosity. John chapter 1 says this about him. From his fullness, from the fullness of who he is, we have received grace upon grace. And the image that's to, to be seen there is like waves from the ocean coming in, splashing you. Grace, the favor of God, the favor of God, the favor of God. He's just giving it out all the time. Like when you read through the Gospels and he's pouring out his favor on all the people you don't think he should be pouring his favor out on. But he's just a generous guy, right? So he's wise, he's good, and he's generous. And now I want to read to you what his agenda is as king. What he's saying, hey, with me as king in your life, this is what I'm wanting to do, right? We're about to have the presidential deals where, where Trump and Clinton are going to kind of talk about, um, you know, their, their plans and whatnot. I want you to read King Jesus' agenda for what he's going to do as king. It's in Jeremiah 32, starting in verse 38. He says, they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So Jesus, as king, says, my agenda is to step into a relationship with you in your life, one of connection, one of relating. We're going to be connected. You're going to be my people. I will be your God. And he says, I'm going to give you, so here's the generosity. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. Now, hold on, wait, what, is, that, is that actually good? What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, as king, he's going to do something in our hearts, your heart and my heart, that we might not turn away from him. If you've read the Old Testament, you see over and over again, God is being gracious, kind, providing, generous, wise, and people just keep going astray and going astray and going astray and going astray. And Jesus says, hey, as king, I'm going to change your heart so that you're not going to wander off. Now look why that's good. He says, that's going to be for your own good and for the good of their children after them. So we're not going to turn away from all the blessing that Jesus wants to give us. That's his goal, is to change your heart. That what you leave for your children would be a legacy 
of the blessing of God, not of the wandering of you and me, right? He's going to touch our hearts. Keep going. And he says, I'm going to make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not, whoa, look at this, I will not turn away from doing good to them. So he says, as king, I'm going to change your heart so you don't walk away from me, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to commit to you that I'm not going to turn away from doing good to you. My agenda is to do good to you and to your family. That's my goal. Man, this sounds like a, a king I might, I might get behind. I bet you might as well. And then he goes on to say, um, he says, I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Now look at verse 41. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all of my heart and with all of my soul. So Jesus the king, who has all the power, all the authority, who's free, completely free, what does he say his agenda is? What he wants to do is to do good to you. And not just to do that kind of in a monotone, here, I'll just do good to you. But it says he wants to rejoice. The thing that brings him gladness is this commitment to do good to you and your children after you. Hello. Think about that. This is the God of the universe saying to you, I want to step in as king, and here's what I want to do. Here's my agenda, not to get something from you, not to manipulate you or steal from you or get you to this or get you to that. I want to rejoice in doing good to you and to your family and to your kids. That's what I want to do. That's my agenda. And here's what I want to do. I'm just going to jump up. I rejoice in you. Why? I want you to remember who is that weird bald guy jumping on the stage telling me that God himself rejoiced in doing good to me? I want you to remember that. That's why this is good news. That's why this is a king you want to jump behind. That's why this is a king you want to say, hey, I'm with that guy, right? This is what Paul and Philemon and Onesimus are saying. Jesus is Lord, right? And we join with the gospel in saying Jesus is Lord. And that's good news. That's like worth jumping up and down for, dancing around. It's why we sing and lift our hands and get excited about Jesus because this is good news. Now, let's apply this a little bit because Paul, is, he's leaning into Philemon here a little bit. You know, mentor, he's kind of, hey, this is what's required of you, right? He's, he's pointing the way. I want to lean into you guys a little bit. So honestly, if we're really honest, we like Jesus being king on certain issues and not on others, right? Uh, let me give some examples here. We like Jesus, uh, you might like his teaching on, poor, on the poor, and the meek, and I read that verse, you're like, yeah, justice for the poor. And then you read Jesus' teaching on sexuality and the way that talks about our relationships and even the media that we take in. It's like, oh, you be king over there, I'll be king over here. That's how we often want to relate. Number two, you might like his teaching on sexuality, but his teaching on racism and refugees, oh, I like this, I don't like that. Another one, you might like his teaching on tithing and giving, but his kingship on decisions, no sir. Or you might like the love of God for others, hey, that's a good word, but receiving that love freely for yourself, no way, I'm king right here, right? So we have this tendency, if we're honest, to kind of 
not make Jesus king of all, but king of some, and, and us be the ones that decide what he's really king of. Paul writes to another one of his spiritual sons in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he speaks about this. And he says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What's he saying right there? Right? Because he's saying in a time to come, we're in a time to come. We should think about it. Is he talking about me? Saying people have itching ears. So think about like when something in your body itches, you just want to scratch it, right? We're saying the ears are itching, and so they get scratched. They get relieved by just gravitating toward teachers or voices or leaders or ways of doing life that just satisfy what they want. And it leads them away from Jesus and his kingship to strange teachings, to, to myths. We get off track. And so I want to ask you today, do you have itching ears? Or is Jesus king of all? Have you hitched your wagon to his leadership in all of life? Or is it like, well, over here, we're good. And if you're not wondering, if you don't read that about itching ears and wonder, is that me? You might have itching ears. Like, this should put kind of a little bit of fear in all of us of, am I? Do I just gravitate to what I want to hear? Or is it, King Jesus, I'm in for your kingdom. You speak to me. You lead me. I, I, I'm yours, right? I want to ask you that. So what we see here in the gospel, Jesus is Lord, and that's really good news. And so, so Paul can say with confidence to Philemon, there is something that's required. There is a compass for justice. Next, we see that there's a calling to justice. So for Philemon, this wasn't allowed to remain at a mere a kind of idea level, a creed that he might believe while he stayed in his own little home, his own little kind of friends, his own life. And you say, well, hey, Onesimus got himself into that deal. Like, you know, he's the one that, that, that ran away. He's the one that stole from me. He's the one that, that was a slave in the first place. Like, I'm, I'm good, right? That wasn't what's going on here. Paul is, 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 is saying, hey, the gospel says Jesus is Lord. And there's also something that Philemon is to do about. It. He was called to engage in justice spreading. Look at um, verse 15. Paul says this, For this perhaps is why Onesimus was parted from you, Philemon, for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, Philemon is more than a bondservant to you. He's now a brother in the gospel. And he's talking to Philemon about acting, about doing something to represent or to express Jesus' lordship in this relationship that was very common in their day. It was where popular opinion was. This was just how things are. All of Philemon's buddies down at wherever the gym he worked out in, right? This is the way that it works. And here Paul is saying, oh, hold on. Jesus is Lord. That means you're not allowed to kind of stay in the status quo. That means you're not allowed to retreat from very real issues. But now something new has happened to Philemon. He is not a bondservant. He's a brother. And it's not enough for you to say, hey, 
Philemon or Onesimus, your eternity is set. It's going to be good in heaven, right? Go live your life. No, Paul is saying you need to do something now to express the justice of the kingdom in this relationship with Onesimus in a way that probably would have gotten Philemon in a lot of trouble. Probably would have got him criticized. Probably be like, dude, you're weird. You're a Jesus freak. Stop with doing that. You're upsetting kind of the way things are. And Philemon is not allowed to say, oh, well, you know, this is going to hurt my bank account, or this is going to hurt my social standing, or this is going to hurt this or that. No, the gospel is calling him. It's a compass and a calling to justice. So I'm I'm going to step on toes with what I'm about to say. Okay, so I I realize that. I want to let you know that on the front end. But I want us to apply this to ourselves. I want us to think about this in, in our world. Take this, not just for some book long ago, but Jesus Lord. There's a calling on our lives for justice. And I want to speak to you about racism in our nation. To really be able to address our calling for justice, I need to help you see something. And that is, America is not a Christian nation. America is not a Christian nation. Now, I say this as someone who, uh, I did Ancestry.com, and my family goes back in America, back both sides, back to like when the Declaration of Independence was signed. A long time, right? But my experience overseas, when we lived in North Africa, we worked with uh, predominantly Arabs who are predominantly Muslim, and we were talking about Jesus. And the interesting thing that they said was, oh, yeah, Jesus, America, Christian, America, Christian. It's a Christian nation. And for them, what that meant, what that translated as, was any female that they saw that was American was ready to undress and, 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 and get busy, so to speak, with any guy, because that's the movies that we export to the world. So then when you're talking Christianity, the gospel, what, what they're thinking is sexual morality. And then we'd spend a whole lot of time being like, no, no, no. they're Christians in America, but it's not a, a, it's not a Christian nation, right? And we'd have to try and work through that to get to the point of communicating who Jesus is. See, we weren't there to export America. We weren't there to export American culture. We were there to proclaim who Jesus was. And that experience really opened my eyes. And, and when we think about America, and I specifically want to speak to my uh, Caucasian brothers and sisters in the room. Oftentimes, what's translated as the American dream or the land of opportunity for us has come at the expense of another people group. So, think about the founding of America, manifest destiny that, that we're to spread to the right and to the left. Oftentimes, that expansion was taken with our foot on the throat of Native Americans or built on the backs of African Americans. So when we think about America, it's very difficult for us to look at the gospel, for us to look at King Jesus, for us to look at his agenda for the meek of the earth, for the poor of the earth, to look at our history of exploiting people for our own good, and say, oh yeah, that's Christian. So I want to challenge your understanding of thinking of America as a Christian nation 
And thinking of America as just a nation. There are good things about our country, and there are things that are not good about our country. But when we start talking about the people of Jesus, when we start talking about the church, right, when we hear these words about justice, we need to first not apply them to our nation. They're going to overflow there. But they need to start with us. And I want to tell you from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, speaking about the church, speaking about the people of Jesus, not speaking about our nation as a whole, that's, that may be another conversation, but speaking about us, says this, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I want you to hone in on that. If one member suffers, all suffer. My Caucasian brothers and sisters, our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ gathered throughout this city and throughout our nation, people that we take communion with, that we worship with, that we'll stand before the throne of glory with, are communicating with us that things are not right in the area of racism in our world, in our nation, in our city. They're saying, hey, something is off here. And as followers of Jesus, our response is not to not listen, is not to respond, like just dismiss, is not to withdraw into our own, well, it's not that way for me. Right? Jesus didn't have that attitude with you. Jesus came for you. He used his power to advocate for you to bring you up. That's what King Jesus does. So we, as followers of Jesus, in our relationships with one another, we need to listen to our African-American brothers and sisters who are saying in a week where we've seen police shootings highlight a deeply, deeply systemic issue in our nation related to racism, we need to listen. And we need to embrace a call to justice to say, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to just take the easy one here and just stick with my comfortable little bubble. I realize your life is hard. I realize you work hard. I, I realize all those things. I do too. But the gospel and King Jesus is calling us to have open ears and to use whatever platform, whatever resource, whatever position that you have to make a way to reflect the gospel to other followers of Jesus, regardless of the skin color or the ethnicity from which they come. I want to say this in a week where we have politicians comparing the lives of refugees to Skittles, talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not okay. We're not allowed to just say, well, that doesn't affect me because I, I somehow was born with Caucasian skin in a country that happens to be kind of one of the leaders in the world, and it's not okay. Right? So the gospel calls us, if we're to apply it like was being applied here, if we're to experience the fruit of justice, we need to experience the calling of justice. One more comment on this, and I realize today is not as polished, but this is important. Uh, again, to my Caucasian brothers and sisters, much of the racism in our nation 
we think, well, I'm not racist. I don't use those words, or I don't, I don't, you know, do that, or my friends don't do that, right? Uh, it's interesting. Researchers tell us that much of the racism in America is systemic, meaning it's built into our systems, and it's invisible to Caucasian eyes. I'll give you one example. Until 1968 in Dallas, there was federal uh, lending practices that allowed for home loans to be made on different terms based on the color of someone's skin and the neighborhood they were going to move into. So if you think maybe you were born in 1968, maybe your parents were, right? We're talking like right around us. And you can look at a map of Dallas today and you can see uh, the, the effects of how this practice set up systemic injustice in our city, right here. And you can look at the neighborhoods today with the highest property values, the best schools, the, the best public safety, the best opportunity for kids, and you can trace it back to those lending practices up until 1968, like that's not long ago, and that shaped our city. And you can look at the, the neighborhoods with the highest crime rates, with the lowest home ownership, with the lowest property value, with the greatest problems and the, the, the worst schools. And you can trace it right back to that. Systemic practices built around racial uh, biases. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it ought not be so. And to my Caucasian brothers and sisters, we cannot respond with hard hearts, with indifferent hearts, with accusing hearts on this. We need to model King Jesus and what he's calling us to more than what your family may have taught you, what our culture may say. We're to represent him, right? We're not following uh, uh, America. We're not following American Christianity. We're following King Jesus. Lastly, it doesn't just give us a compass and a calling, but it gives us courage. In verse 21, Paul writes to Philemon, and he says, Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. How could Paul write to Philemon with confidence that he was going to embrace justice in this relationship with Onesimus? Right? He's already said he's free. How could he? How can you say, hey, I'm confident that you're going to do something that people are going to get frustrated with you about? They may get mad at you about it. Your friends may make fun of you. You may lose relationships because of this. How could he write with confidence? Because what we see in the gospel is it doesn't just give us the call or the compass for justice or the calling for justice, but it also gives us the courage to walk out in justice. Because in the gospel, God gives us the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, that same Spirit that was on Jesus that we talked about that He walked in, He gives to us a Spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind that allows us to walk with courage toward the justice that the gospel is bringing in our churches, in our relationships with one another, in our systemic practices here, and then courage to be a witness in the world around us. So I just want to say, I don't know what our next steps on this are. And if you have good ones, please feel free to send them my way. But we're going to do something to respond as within the church 
and we're going to do something to respond in our city to be a part of the way of Jesus, to be a part of his compass and his calling for justice here in our little area of Dallas and believe that as we do that here, that it's going to overflow into the world around us. And with that, I'd just like to ask you to stand. If we can get the band to come on up. Jesus, thank you that you're an awesome king. Thank you that you being king is good news. That your wisdom is far beyond any created person. That your goodness is far beyond our goodness. That your generosity is far beyond our generosity. That your righteousness and justice, Lord, you don't just rule on behalf of the people in power. You don't just rule on behalf of the cool kids at school. You don't just rule on behalf of the haves, Lord. But you have a heart for the haves not, have-nots. You have a heart for justice. You have a heart for the poor. And when we embrace your kingship, Lord, there's a calling to engage with your agenda, with your party platform that's not Democrat or Republican, it's kingdom. God, I'm asking that here in this room that you would start with us, Lord. That by your spirit that you would be working in us, that you would give us courage and eyes to see what you're calling us to. That just like Philemon, it was up to him to discern from you how you were calling him to respond, Lord. Let us listen to your spirit and let us respond and not retreat into comfort or apathy or, or indifference, Lord. But let us engage with what you're doing in this place, in these lives, in this city, in Jesus' name. Amen. As the band leads us in worship, let's respond.
God's put on her heart as we close and a prayer for us all as we go forward. Hey guys, um, just wanted to share with y'all something the Lord was really bringing to mind just now. And uh, the conference that Zach spoke of that we were at last weekend, Heidi Baker was one of the main speakers. And um, for those of you who have heard her before, her main message and her life message that she really lives is this word of, do you see the person in front of you? Do you notice the person that's, that's right before your eyes? And that God has called us as the body of Christ to see the person that's in front of us and that we don't need to necessarily go across the world to do good or to reach out or to love people well to go to another nation it's that but it's also do we love the person that's right in front of us and are we able to just walk across the street and love in the name of Jesus and reach out in the name of Jesus and just felt like the Lord was really bringing that to mind um, in response to what Zach shared this morning and just want to pray for us just for a fresh grace and a deepen a deepening in the capacity of our hearts of our emotional capacity of what God's called us to as a people to step out and to say I'm going to take the time to notice and to love that person that is right in front of me whether it's literally my neighbor that maybe we've never met or maybe it's the person at the Whole Foods checkout line. Maybe it's a coworker that you haven't ever taken time to ask them questions about their life or just haven't known how to get to know people in that way. So I want to pray that the Lord would deepen uh, the grace and the capacity on our lives as a body um, to reach out and say, we're going to love whoever the Lord crosses our paths with in, in our normal everyday lives. So God, in response to this message this morning, we just thank you for the word. Lord, we thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you for your heart, Lord, for people. Your heart is for all people, Lord. And we thank you, God, that you have called us. Lord, you've called us. We get to partner with you. We get to, to walk with you in being, Lord, being living examples love of God, letting the love of God flow through us to reach whoever is in front of us. And so, Lord, we just ask for a fresh grace and for a fresh power today. Lord, we just, I just want you guys, if you feel comfortable with it, to extend your hands just in a posture to receive whatever the Lord may want to give today. Lord, we want to posture our hearts to receive more of your heart whoever that may be, just on our, our normal Monday, our normal Tuesday, just our normal lives, not a lightning bolt experience, but just as we go about our lives, Lord, we ask that we would be ones that would see that person in front of us, that would, we would take time to stop and to listen, to hear their story, and to look for ways to be a bridge for the gospel, to be a bridge for people to encounter the love and the kindness of God, Lord, that our lives would draw people to you, Jesus. We just receive, Lord, from all that, all that you want to give today. We just humble our hearts, Lord. We, we humble 
Lord, the, just the, even the place in our mind, Lord, as, as Zach spoke to certain places, certain thought patterns, certain, certain ways of doing things that maybe we're not even aware of. God, we humble ourselves and we say, we have need of you. Lord, we want to be more like you. We want to walk like you. We want to love like you. We, we need you. And we call out for you today, Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you that you are the center. You are the centerpiece of it all. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are dismissed. If you're new here, we have a welcome dinner tonight. You'll see the graphic. We'd love for you to come, get some free food, meet some great people, and learn more about the church. You can sign up online. And with that, God bless you as you go.